Jesus. Uh, there's something fun about talking about yourself. Uh, it's uh, something that we can all do pretty easily as long as people ask the right questions. And one, night, one day, uh, I had the opportunity of sitting at the table with a young man who was from Bowling Green, Tennessee. And uh, I think that's in Tennessee. <laughs> Kentucky, thank you. I'm not from here, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> it was so great. I actually got to sit down and meet a lot of you just today in the, in the uh, Life Center. And I made the mistake also of calling the soccer players football players, which may kind of give a hint as to the fact that I haven't been living in the United States for very long. Bowling Green, Kentucky, thank you. This young man was about six years old. My father at the time was about 45, and I, a 12-year-old boy at the dinner table, was sitting with my family, and we were... Uh, enjoying a meal, and as was prone to happen at our table, uh, my parents would ask some kind of conversational question. And the question that they asked that day was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I don't know if every young boy in Bowling Green, Kentucky, dreams and aspires to grow up to be what this young man wanted to be, but when he started sharing with us, he did it with great gumption. He said, I want to be, be a professional wrestler. And none of us were surprised, but we all laughed because we had seen him wrestling with my little brother and we'd seen him, you know, coming up with some great slogans and and talking about all his favorite wrestlers. Uh, But the thing that made us laugh most was that after he shared that with great conviction and great hope, he asked my dad, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we just had to laugh because a 45-year-old man, we think, he's already grown up. But uh, it's a good question to ask. What do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, it's a question that you can ask at any point and any stage of your life. Because you know what? All of us are still growing up. And that's why I love the mission statement that you probably saw, some of you maybe for the first time if you're visiting, in the Life Center. It's just emblazoned on the wall as you walk past. Maybe you're more focused on the foosball table. But just above the foosball table, it says the mission of Landmark Church is to lead people in growing relationship with Jesus Christ, in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what I'm going to preach about today. How can we be growing in our relationship with God? And what does God teach us about growth through Jesus? And Jesus, he shared a lot of different things about his identity. When he started talking about who he was, he also defined who we are. And he does that best in the book of John, I believe. If you read and open up to John chapter 15, where we're going to read today, we come up upon really the last time that Jesus defines himself for us. In John, he defines himself in a way that God defined himself to Moses in the form of the burning bush back in the book of Exodus. He said, I am. I am who I am. I need no other introduction. I am God. Well, Jesus who is God as well, throughout the book of John, reinforces this truth by saying things like, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in in chapter 15, starting in verse 1, he's going to say, I am the true vine. And we're going to talk about seven principles that we can draw from these eight verses, the beginning of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, And my father is the gardener. So he's already not just defining himself. He's not just defining who Jesus is. He's defining who God, the eternal 
and apart from us is the gardener. And he points out that he is the true vine. And when somebody tells you they're the true one that has implications, it means that there are also false vines in this world. There are things that we might grow that may not live or bear fruit. I lived in Turkey for 15 years in an apartment building, and for the first nine years, we lived in a building that uh, was just right at street level, uh, but it was the first floor up, so there was another floor below us, and that was kind of a basement level. And down on that basement level, somebody, years before we had moved there, had planted a grapevine and had planted it at the base of a giant pine tree. And the pine tree shot up all the way to the top of the building, four stories, But the grapevine must have been planted by the people who lived previously on our floor, had been pulled up and grown right across the front and caused us to have a nice barrier from street traffic that would drive by. And for the first few years, it was a nice relief in the summer to have a little bit of shade and covering. And then one year, there were some pipe problems, and apparently the thing that had been feeding those vines and that giant pine tree was some kind of crack in the water sewage system that had been funneling down there. And so when the city maintenance people came and dug around and fixed the pipe, the next big wind that came through came and just knocked that giant pine tree over. The roots had been destroyed. And unfortunately, for us at least, the vine itself had been uprooted And we lost the shade that we had and the beautiful fruit that would grow on the front of the the balcony. And that was because there was no longer any connection to the source of water and to the source of life in the roots. That can be our problem. If we don't follow this first principle, the principle that is that life and growth begin and end with Jesus Christ. If we are no longer connected, we're going to fall over when the first big wind hits We're going to be uprooted when the things around us fall down, and we'll no longer be connected to the life-giving nutrients of the earth. Jesus Christ is the beginning and end of all growth. This is hard to believe for some of us. For some of us, we haven't yet trusted that Jesus is the beginning and the end, and so it sounds weird. But for those of you who know this, who have lived with this truth for a time and seen the fruit that comes from trusting in Jesus, you can say amen to that, can't you? Amen. Jesus is the beginning and the end of all growth. Amen. Let's go on to the next verse. It's real simple. He cuts off, the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. We have two things that are happening here. One is complete being cut off and the other is pruning. Uh, But the main point is that God-given growth comes at a significant cost. Uh, and, and Jesus knew this and modeled this with his life. Just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 12, Jesus is confronted with the possibility of growing his following. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He is the savior of the world. And it was his goal to bring more people into the kingdom of God. Well, in John chapter 12, he's sitting with Mary and Martha and Lazarus after he's been risen to life. And he's just been anointed with oil, this burial oil that, that uh, Mary spends on him extravagantly and he's sitting there teaching and one of his disciples comes to him and says there there's some greek speaking jews from outside of jerusalem who have come in and are traveling here for the feast and they want to speak with you and jesus 
understanding that there can be significant cost, says to them this parable, essentially. He shares this passage, and you've heard it before. He says, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it can do nothing. But if it does, it produces much fruit. And then after he shares that idea with his disciples, he hides himself. I don't think the Greek people who came to see him even got to see him. He hides himself because he, he knows that God has a different plan, that God is actually going to prune a portion of Jesus' life so that we could be included in the fruit that God is bringing into this world. It's an amazing thing. Jesus himself, time and again, limits his ministry, limits the things that he does, is pruned by God the Father so that the greatest fruit that we have ever known can come into this world, the growth of God's family on earth. It's painful. It must have been painful for Jesus. I think of the time when the rich young ruler, this guy, he had a lot of potential. He came to Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to be saved, to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus loves him and at the same time must tell him, what you're doing now isn't going to work. There's a cost. And when the rich young ruler hears it, as you all know that story, he, he doesn't choose to be pruned by God. And you get to choose whether you are going to be pruned by the Lord. This is something that Jesus does time and again in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, your will be done. That was a choice. It's what his disciples do. Jesus, in chapter 12, when he, in chapter 13, when he washes the feet of the disciples, Peter says, not me, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you can't be part of me. And so then Peter He's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I choose for you to do that. In fact, don't just do that. Wash my whole body too. Because he wanted to say, yes, I choose you, God. I choose you over everything else, even though there's a significant cost. That, that seems like bad news. A significant cost seems like bad news. And yet, it's the essence of the good news of the gospel. There was a significant cost, but Jesus paid it at the cross. Jesus paid it at the cross for you and me. He was the one willing to be pruned and so that we could be grafted in and join. You are already clean, Jesus says, because of the word I have spoken to you. Which brings me to our third point, and that is that God's word cleanses us of excess baggage so we can freely grow. Have you ever traveled with excess baggage? Uh, my family traveled with excess baggage this year. In fact, we had the baggage allowance on an airplane of 10 suitcases, but we ended up traveling with 17. Can you imagine 17? That's at least two full trolleys full. And, uh, probably, and when I picked my family up at the airport, they were, they were needing extra help. They had had extra help to get to the airport and extra help to come back. My family... Uh, had to leave our home of 16 years with all of our things in those suitcases. And we were helped by many people even here at the church to bring some things. But excess baggage is no fun, and you have to pay for it. Excess baggage is something that they charge you dearly for. Uh, and it was a way in which the airlines actually held our family to the fire and made us pay uh, for a whole other set of tickets. Excess baggage is something that you generally, in the middle of the whole event, decide, 
I should not have packed so many clothes. I should not have brought that extra pair of underwear. I could have made do with the things I have on because I am so sorry that I've had to put so much effort forth in moving the things. And, uh, and God says, you don't have to carry so much. That's a physical problem, traveling with excess baggage. But most of us travel with all kinds of excess spiritual baggage as well, don't we? We, we carry the worries about what tomorrow will bring. Jesus, in, in Matthew 7, he says, don't worry about those things. Those are things that people who don't know me have to worry about. If you know me, you're going to have what you need. Trust that I am from God who created everything, that through my name, whatever you ask will be given you. You can leave that baggage at home because I have waiting for you what you need. He continues on. He says, remain in me, or another word that I love in other translations, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Which brings me to the fourth principle. If you remain in Jesus, you will bear fruit. To remain in Jesus means there will be fruit in your life. And so as you're thinking about how can I move forward in my life, how can I grow, how can I become a better, better father or student or student or, or parent, or how can I become a better child, how can I become a better grandfather or example to my friends, uh, all of that bears fruit by remaining in Jesus. He actually uses this word that, that if, you, if you allow my word to cleanse you, as we read in verse in verse 3, I mean, then, then I will give you all of this freedom. Well, God's word in our lives creates great fruit. I, I can think of uh, my mother who loves to go out and garden in the ground, and she loves to bring in fruit from her garden. And one of the things she hates most is to find out that something has been eating at the roots of her plants and, and caused the fruit to die before it was fully ripe. Jesus says, if you stay with me, nothing's going to eat your roots. It's not going to dig in. No wind is going to come through. You're not going to lose the valuable things you've been working for. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the fifth principle that accomplishment is meaningless without Jesus. There's a lot of things that you can accomplish in this life. You can become the best athlete, the best teacher. You can, you can put a lot of effort in, become the smartest person that everybody knows. You can study history, philosophy. You can study how to be a doctor and save people's lives. But all of those accomplishments are meaningless if you don't have Jesus in your life because those accomplishments are temporary. God has created a system in which things pass away. People move on. People get fired from their jobs. They get kicked out of countries they lived in. People get sent to new places. And all of that is being pruned by God if you're connected to him. And it may turn out that everything you've invested in becomes meaningless. But if you've been investing in Jesus, that will never be meaningless because he lives forever. Because of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus' life brings everything into meaning. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, 
thrown into the fire, and burned. It's a little bit hard. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like hearing about punishment. I really don't like threatening. But uh, here we see one thing that is true, that Jesus uses both positive and negative reinforcement to motivate his disciples. If you said, train me, Lord, to be the best follower of you, then you are actually signing up sometimes to be told, watch out, and that's going to kill you if you do that. I was uh, talking with Jim Sanderson, and I'm, I'm, I hope that when I'm Jim's age, I look as fit and as strong as he does. Uh, and I'm so thankful that he's in the Life Center now and connecting with people. He, he's a good coach. Uh, I don't know if any of you were his, his students, his players, but um, he has de- decided that he's going to call me Chicken Man. And, and I think he wants to call me Chicken Man because maybe I'm about as weak as a chicken. Uh, but, but I think it's also because I, I hate to exercise. I, I mentioned this, and uh, I, I don't like to exercise. I don't like to lift weights. I don't know if you can tell. We had a baptism of, of a wrestler up here a little while ago, and when I saw him, I thought, man, that guy likes to work out, and I asked him if he'd give me pointers afterwards, but I hate to work out. It, I would rather, at times, I think I'd rather die of bad health than work out. <laughs> And work out. But I know that many of you have committed your lives to being healthy physically, spiritually, and in every way, and I look up to you. I admire you, and I hope that you will motivate me in the future to greater exercise. My wife, she is more committed to good health than I am, and uh, I look up to her at times. But, but I, I, unless it's a competitive game, I don't think I will find myself working out in that wonderful life center that we have available for us. Um, but if you want to help me grow and you want to use some negative reinforcement, call me Chicken Man when you see me like Jim Sanderson, and, and uh, maybe it'll motivate me. It's important, though, that we hear both of these things, the pruning, the cutting, that we hear all of it and understand that all of these things, that these negative and positive reinforcements were things that Jesus himself went through. The idea of laying down your life and dying would be viewed as a horrible punishment uh, and yet the Hebrews writer in Hebrews twelve eleven says that all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. <coughs> yet to those who have been trained, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. If we submit ourselves to the goads, to the pricks of the shepherd, and we follow the plan that he has set out for our lives. We let him prune us of the excess weights that we have. Then we reach peaceful righteousness. That's what I want. This world is full of anxiety. It's full of concerns. It's so full of concerns. And usually the solutions that are out there are various. When people don't turn to the true vine, they turn to all kinds of philosophies and doctrines of this world. They try all forms of medicine. They try all forms of meditation. And when they do, they find a temporary relief for a a lasting problem. A lasting problem that this world presents to us. And that is that there will be at the end a burning. But thank God he doesn't finish this analogy with that. 
But instead, Jesus says in verse 7 and 8, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. (coughs) It's interesting here. He doesn't say it's to my glory. He says it's to my Father's glory. And I thought about that. I thought, why would Jesus be saying that it's to the Father's glory that Jesus' disciples bear much fruit. And then I thought to last week when we had a grandfather here baptizing his granddaughter in the waters of repentance and forgiveness and being sealed in the the life of Jesus Christ who is eternal. And I thought, that's it. It's so joyful when a person who has taught someone else how to live gets to see that person teaching their children the same ways of life. (coughs) If I tell you about the greatest restaurant in town, and a couple weeks later I hear you telling somebody else, man, I had the best meal over there, then I know that you really liked and took the advice that I gave. And, And here we see Jesus saying to his disciples, the thing that is most glorious to the Father is not that I'm doing his will. He knows that I will do his will. He trained me right. He brought me up. I am his son. But what blesses his heart is to see that I can then pass on that same life to you. That's the hope of everyone who has been a part of this church for any length of time, is that as you join, as you become the fruit of this church, that you will also be the source of life to others. And that that will bring glory to the generations before us. That we have been able to pass on to the next generation God's life. And in that way, we all grow together. Not just in this time, but for all eternity, we grow together. Don't lose connection with the things of the past. Don't lose connection with the sacrifice that Jesus made. Instead, commit your life anew. I don't know if you have ever committed your life fully to the teachings, to the word of life of Jesus. But if you have, then maybe this is the time for you to remember that and to thank him. If you have not, I encourage you, put your trust in him. He is the lasting vine, the true vine, and we are the branches. Our identity is wrapped up in him. Let us pray. If you have anything on your heart that you want or need prayer for today, I invite you to come forward and our elders and our staff and people who are here will pray with you and we will be committed to praying with you as a family for for this week and the time ahead until the Lord answers your prayers. Uh, Let us bow our heads and then we will sing a worship song. Father, thank you so much that you have called us, that you have brought us into new life with you, that you care for us, and that you have made us a family. I thank you that there is lasting fruit in Jesus' name, and that you are God who saves. You save us from all of the excesses that we have accumulated in our life. You save us also, Lord, from hopelessness and anxiety. Lord, we pray that you would work mightily in our lives today and you would keep us rooted firmly in Christ Jesus who is the origin the author of our salvation it's in his name we